Welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen, a podcast designed to celebrate achievements within black culture. Here's your host, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Guys, my confession this week, about a year ago, maybe sometime in spring 2017, I ran across this LinkedIn post that was going quite viral. And it was a sister who was sharing her story. And there was a lot of information in that post. And it made everybody just say, wow. And so I reached out to her, made a comment, congratulated her because she had just completed, maybe I think the year before, her doctoral degree. And she was sharing the journey that that took her to that place. And I was just amazed by it. Um, She was kind enough to, you know, schedule a call. And she had looked at my page and I looked at her page and we got together. She invited me to her job where we had a brief meeting. And since then, she has been one of my sheroes. And so, guys, I want to introduce you to Dr. Shaniko Jones. She is one of those sisters that you see on my page. And Dr. Jones, you didn't hear me say this before we start recording, but one of my friends said, I just love her smile. I love her smile. When I see her smile, she lights up my day. And so she's going to do that for you today, guys. So I, it is such a pleasure to talk to Dr. Jones today. Dr. Jones, hey, queen, what's going on? Oh, wow. Thank you for that introduction and reminder um, that even for me, this is much needed. And so thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for taking the time to even want to share my journey with your followers. And I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. So in your words, who is Dr. Shaniqua Jones? <laughs> um. I've been hearing this more often than usual and I had to take it all in because I used to be the person where if you gave me a compliment, it was hard for me to say thank you because it was hard for me to see what other people saw. And so recently I was just in a grocery store and a man was behind me. He was like, sister, can I just tell you real quick, you are the light in people's darkness. Never met this man a day in my life. I'm like, "Ah, thank you, sir. And immediately my first response was going to say, what you mean? Like, no, so don't, don't do that. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. But then that's my, one of my other mantras. There, uh, there's no growth in your comfort. Get uncomfortable. And so who is Dr. Shaniqua Jones? I will say I am a light, even in times when I need to be the light for myself. Mm. Um, I've been through a lot of things in my life. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid turned rebel and walked away from everything that I was taught, walked away from my foundation of knowing and believing and trusting and praying and fasting for a change and, and understanding who God is. And so my, the best way I can explain it is I walked away from religion. And by the age of 26, I found myself in a predicament where I was dying as I was giving birth to my fifth child after uh, some life circumstances from the age of 15 to 26, where we could talk about a failed suicide attempt, being admitted into the psychiatric ward, being diagnosed with being bipolar, um, being a teen mom, having my first child at 17, second child at 19, um, being raped twice. We could talk about sexual assault, we could talk about homelessness, poverty, um, I'm a cancer survivor, and um, some other things that have happened in my life that I know that it was nothing but God. Even in times when I couldn't verbally say I believed in him, I knew because of the foundation my mother 
built that he was real or God was real or the idea that it's something greater than myself that is keeping me here even when I didn't want to be kept. And so when we talk about who I am today, those things that I had to go through, very disheartening, very discouraging, very hurtful, very painful, but I wouldn't trade anything. Not one bit of my story because a journey not shared is a soul not healed. So let's talk about that a little bit because um, I had an opportunity to attend a documentary screening um, on your behalf. And this was around the time that I met you. And this was sometime last year. And myself and others who sat in those seats and we watched your story on that screen, there were moments when we laughed. There were moments when I know people were crying. There were moments when my mouth was open. I was like, what? There were moments when I was amening and kind of nodding my head in agreement it was an emotional roller coaster, but that's from our seat. You had to go through that. And then you also shared that in your book. And um, I absolutely loved reading your story. I mean, there were moments when I cringed, like, oh, no, don't say that. And, and, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's your reality, though, you know? And then to see you later in the place that you are, tell us more about why that is your mantra, why you feel as though transparency is the key to healing. Honestly, I was raised, so I'm the youngest of four children, and my mom had me at the age of 40. My dad was 45. My brothers were 13, 15, and 17, and then here I come along. There is, we don't have anything in common, even to this day. We don't have a whole lot in common, but now we have a, a new playing ground, per se, in terms of learning how to respect one another, that even though I may not have come up in the generation that they may have came up in, that I still have my own I'm my own person. And so I was raised in a household where you were to be seen and not heard. I was also raised in a household that when you were in church, you didn't question God or you didn't question authority or whatever you were told, whatever you were given and whatever message you received, you just receive that and just take it in and figure it out on your own. And so, and, but on the other spectrum, when I'm in school and you say the teacher explains, uh, gives specific instructions that if we don't understand, ask questions. So I became this confused child, not knowing who God was because I'm a visual learner. So not being able to see something, but you want me to have faith in something I can't see. That's hard for me. That was, that was hard for me to do. And then trying to decipher when to ask a question and when not to ask a question, when to use my voice and when to be quiet and how to use my voice effectively led me down this path where there were times I was very defiant because I didn't understand and no one took the time to explain things to me. It was just like, whatever was given to you, that's what it is. And so when we get to the age of I am now, I'm at the age of 37, and we're talking about a journey not shared as a soul not healed, God gave me that mantra in the midst of writing my book while I was in my doctoral program. And I'm like, God, why would you have me writing a book about my life right now? Like, you know, I got this capstone, you know, I have to submit this lit review (laughs) but it was a healing process for me and oftentimes what happens is when something traumatic happens to us in our life if we haven't had the support system to positively to positively change the dynamics of how we see that situation we suppress that pain and so when we get older and then uh, we get a reminder by something we smell or something we see or something somebody says that brings back that traumatic experience, you find yourself going through this emotional roller coaster whirlwind and can't necessarily find your way out, not in an in a, a effective way. And so me writing this book about my life was my healing. 
that was my narrative healing. That was me saying, I'm going to share it with the world because I've been in this box for so long, identified by other people of who I should be or where I should be, or even though I'm trying to bounce back, this is what the bounce back should look like. Me writing that book was learning to say, you know what, I am who I am because he is who he is to me. And me writing this book is saying that other people need to learn how to be transparent because we can't keep things bottled in and we can't be who we need to be to ourselves. We can't be who we need to be to our children or our partner, our spouses, our family and our friends. You can't be who God wants you to be if you can't be what you need to be to yourself. And we all need to learn how to share our, our personal journey because we all have one. It may not be the most, um, it doesn't have to be the most terrifying story. It doesn't have to be the most dramatic, but we all have experiences and we have to learn from those experiences and share with others. Let them know that this too shall pass. You are not the only one. You are, I mean, you are a unique person, but you're not the only one that had this type of circumstance. And so how do you, you know, how do you, how do you begin to show that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness? Because for so long, we've lived our lives believing that, oh, if you, if you're vulnerable, you're going to be taken advantage of, taken advantage of. If you're vulnerable, you're going to be seen as being weak. If you're vulnerable, you're going to be like an outcast. You're going to be ostracized. No, that's not the case for people who, you know, for, for the people that God actually sent in your life, they're going to help you walk that fine line. And so I'm glad to have the support system that I have of my, my five natural born children and my husband who understand like, Oh, this might get touchy sometimes, but this, this is what people need to hear. This is what people need to know. And this is what people need to experience and understand the reason why I do what I do. Absolutely. And one of my, my favorite things that you say all the time is God is, and God it, is. <laughs> it, it just seems to, it seems to summarize everything. It's in those two simple words, God is. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's talk about all those experiences that you've had and how that led into the career path that, that you're in now. You have served in higher education. You are a restorative justice practitioner. Tell us what does restorative justice mean and how does that relate to your journey that, you, that you're sharing? Um, one of the words that has been very effective and meaningful in my life in the last, I want to say in the last week or so, that was brought to my attention. I already, you know, I knew the word from a spiritual perspective. I knew the word and, you know, just for what it was because I was born and raised in church. But my husband had brought the word up recently, redemption. And that's what restoration is. Restoration and redemption goes hand in hand. It's saying that I have to learn to reconcile my differences. I have to learn how to forgive and to be forgiven. And oftentimes forgiveness looks different for everyone. And so when you talk about being restored, it's a matter of me saying that, give you a, a great example. My mother had me at the age of 40. So by the time I'm 15 and I'm this rebellious child running away from home, don't want to go to church, being very, very defiant. She said, yes, I would say no. Even if I knew it meant what she meant well, it was just the idea that, um, <clears throat> I resented her for loving God the way she loved God, very faithful to the point where I, I coined the term Jesus little sister. That's what I call her to this day that when I'm on, when I'm at her house and I check in from Facebook, that's how I come up. Jesus. Little mm -hmm. And then, you know, my three brothers who are older than I, you know, by the time I'm 15, they're in their mid late twenties, they're going off leaving, you know, leaving and starting their own families. And so there were times where we struggled at home between the two of us. And the only meal, only good meal that I got were the meals that I got at school because by the time I came home, 
the only thing we would have to eat between the two of us to share a pack of ramen noodles that cost what like 22 cent a pack which mm. probably at that time was only 10 cent a pack so I, I just couldn't understand how could she be so faithful to something she couldn't see how could she tithe and pay toward building funds and you know all her spare time we're going to church six days a week and she's part of the ministry she's part of different programs and so whatever she signed up to do i signed up to do too and i'm like this is not the life i want to live and we're struggling at home and pride was in the way in so many situations that even if help existed we didn't take the help because we didn't want anybody to know we needed help right. so why am i suffering and so um when you're talking about being rebellious and having children at an early age and some of the other things that I shared early on in, in our talk, in our conversation, I, once I started to find, once I started to understand, I found my voice in education and I went back to Governor State University, shout out to uh, Jaguar Nation. Um, 2010, I went for a instant decision day, was immediately accepted into a bachelor's program, received my bachelor's in one year. After that one year, I went on to get my master's degree in criminal justice and with a focus on restorative justice, co-created a 15 credit our restorative uh, justice certificate at Governor State, then went on to get my doctor degree in, uh, high, in, in interdisciplinary leadership with a focus on higher education administration and tied those two worlds together. And as I started to understand restorative justice and the life application piece of it, and understanding that restorative justice is a way of life that's how i was able to like this is me this is god's way of speaking to me he knows his children he understands that in order to get my undivided attention i have to learn how to apply theory to practice i have to learn how to apply the theories to my life and so when i went on to get my doctor degree and i come from a family background where i'm a first gen student people in my family wasn't understanding the reason why i was doing it like you got five kids you're building up all this debt and you're still going to be making less than what you possibly can make because you're black and because it is and because of that i'm like dang you know where's the support in this process but in my mind i was trying to a part of me was trying to make up for things that i had done wrong i you know i was this star child i highly you know high academic scholar that went on to be this rebel and life life happened to me opposing me happening to life and so i had imagined that by the time i got my doctor degree and i'm writing this book that my family was supportive in one sense but they didn't know i was going to release the book to the world mm. and it was one thing to write the book and just share it with the family but like oh hold on now you're telling everybody our business because you're telling your business me you're telling part of our business too and that's not something we do and i had got the good so i had believed i got the good grace of my my mom who was like my ride or die that's my prayer partner and what ended up happening was a week before i walked across stage to get my doctor degree she asked me to come over to tell me that she was not uh, pleased with the decision i made to release the book she was not pleased with how everything was happening so fast and how i pretty much was going against the grain even though they were supporting me but now this is a little bit too much we didn't know we really was going to go through this process and so what ended up happening, she said, we need to take a break from each other, like a relationship. <laughs> I was like, what you mean a break? And so I ended up taking a break. They did not, none of my family showed up for my, my, um, my hooding ceremony or for commencement. It was my husband and my children, which I'm totally grateful for too. But it was something I had to learn. That was another level of 
God, what do I do? You know, I'm this restorative justice practitioner. I'm going across the U.S. to talk about how people can mend relationships and the healing process and making amends and building community, holding people accountable and community safety and talking about school to prison and uh, poverty prison pipeline. And here I am. I can't. The, one of the main sources of uh, life for me is my mother. But mm -hmm. what ended up happening was in that process, I had to realize that my mother was not my God. There were times when instead of going straight to God himself, I would pick up the phone and say, Ma, can you pray? Ma, can you do this? Like, I had to learn how to reach God for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I had to learn how to build that relationship with God and understand that I don't have to go through my mother to reach him. The, uh, the biggest piece to that learning process, too, was that I, in my mind, have felt that all the things I had done, because what I did from the age of 15, what, whatever I do, even now at the age of 37, that whatever decisions I'm making in this life don't just affect me. But in my mind, I have figured that because my life gives this paradigm shift, I went from being a rebel to now I'm going to school and I'm getting my life back on track and I'm being this, the greatest mother I possibly can be. I remarried um, my best friend and things are looking great that everybody should be cool. But I never sat down and had a conversation with my mom and said, mom, I apologize. I sent you through pure hell. I'm your last child. And a lot of times I took advantage of situations because I knew she was getting older and I knew she was having some medical conditions that was not going to allow her to chastise me or discipline me the way she disciplined my brothers. I got away with a lot of things and I took advantage of a lot of things and I never gave voice to how that may have made her felt and I never apologized. What I did was go to school, get the degrees, start being a law-abiding citizen, start getting my life back on track, rededicated my life to Christ and thought like, okay, since she see these things, that should be good. But I never gave voice to that. Mm. It took us a whole year, a break for a year and I had one of my one of my godmothers passed away, which is her sister, who was also my aunt too. And she called me, and that was the the conversation we had. I could have easily, when she called me to say, "Hey, I need to talk to you face to face," after not talking to her for a whole year, could have went over there. I'm like, "Nah, we really don't have nothing to talk about because I'm trying to figure out why, you know, we had to take a year break. What's wrong with you? I could have did all that, but when I walked in, it was like the most humbling experiences of my life to say, "Mom, I'm sorry." And this is why I'm sorry, because at the age of 15, you were 55, and I became a rebel, and decisions I made sent you through more than it probably sent my, sent more to you than it did to me. And I, when I became a mother at 17, that was almost like you becoming a mother again as well. When I became a mother at 19, that means you became a mother again. When I tried to commit suicide, that means you had to take on the responsibility of raising my two children while I was in a psychiatric ward. When I came home and they diagnosed me with being bipolar, that meant you had to take on the responsibility of trying to figure out how am I going to manage a household with two young siblings and basically almost an infant daughter of mine because she is non-coherent or she is catatonic in the closet. Or understanding that if we was already living in poverty and I decided to go have children, there was more mouths to feed and she could have easily turned me away and said, you're on your own because I've seen it happen one too many times. And so me being able to go back and reflect, which is the biggest thing that is great, the greatest thing that's happening in my life is the gift of self-reflection. And I apologize. We broke down and we cried together and we got back up. 
that's what restoration is like. That's what restorative justice is like. Because when we think about restorative justice, oftentimes we're thinking about the juvenile detention centers. We're thinking about the criminal justice system. We're thinking about um, a crime that is happening. But think about harms that are happening to us in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we see confrontation as something negative because it's like, if I confront you about it, it's about to go down. Somebody about to turn up, somebody going to get hurt, or we're going to make the situation worse. But when you learn how to be restorative and ask the right set of questions and pose me points to you and say, why did you do that? It's more like, what happened? Tell me your side. Wow. Let's, let's, be, let's respect one another to have this conversation that people typically don't want to have to say what went wrong, what part did I play in it, and what can we do to make it right? And if, if for any reason this situation happens again, how can we handle it the most restorative way possible so that you are heard, so that I'm heard, and the people that, are, that support us are heard, and we do this in a respectful way? And let's move forward. And sometimes moving forward may say, like, you stay in your lane, I stay in mine. But I'm going to respect you when I see you. I'm going to say hello, and we're going to keep it moving. And sometimes it's like, okay, we may not ever get back to the point of being 100% where we were, but I am able to foster and maintain and build a relationship with you. And, you know, I had an opportunity to um, participate in your training last fall. I want to say it was last September, where um, you were able to train a group of professionals on what is the the, the peace circle keeper keeper mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The 16 hour training was phenomenal there were times when you know people they began to share there were tears shed there were laughs um there were times when we were just in awe um and we we, we learned some of the practices but what to me is so phenomenal about what you're sharing is that you know restorative justice is obviously is is embedded and grounded in transparency because you make sure that all stakeholders are involved. So there's no room to say, he said, she said, blah, 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 without people being in the same space. Um, Mm -hmm. What I learned from that is that to get everybody involved, everybody who's impacted by this, let's have a conversation. Let's do it in a way to where everyone has a voice and it's structured and it's organized and it's respectful. And at the end of the day, like you said, you come up with a solution. And so that to me is why I admire you so much is because not only do you teach that, but you live it too. You know, so I, when, I, when I think back on that training for those two days and I watch what you do every day, it's, it's very much aligned. You know, oftentimes people do a job and they do the work or they, they're on their assignment, but they really don't live that life. They really don't believe in it. They just clock in, clock out, and they go home. And they, they become whoever they want to be there. Um, but that's not the case with you. So I can really appreciate that. Another thing I want to share with um, our family is that, you know, with your book that you wrote, it was not only so impactful, but, you know, I, there was a young lady who, who I never met who I, and I'm not sure if you remember this, but I, and you know, she had shared some stuff on social media that I was concerned about. And I'm like, nobody is commenting on what she's saying. I mean, she's crying out for help. And we just go sit there and just watch her. So I, I inboxed her and I said, sis, I think I got something for you. And I ordered a copy of the book for, for her. Um, you mailed it to her and you took some time. And you must've wrote something very special because you thought about her experience. How often do you have experiences like that? Where, where, Someone has thought of you when they're dealing with somebody. And I'm sure it happens often, but I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. What, what has been your experience since your book has been released and people know your story? Um, do, do you see that that happens common? Is, is that, does that happen more often than not? More, more often now than ever before. Okay. Um, and I'll be honest with you, because it's happening in a way 
that I'm like, God, I'm only one person. Like, I, you know, and I want to give people my undivided attention and not be like just send you a cliche message. Like, you know, God is. I mean, because God is. But sometimes people need more of like, hey, I'm reaching out to you. And when people, especially perfect strangers, I won't even say perfect strangers. When people, whether you know them or not, take the time to reach out to you and be vulnerable, that's, that's strength. That's courage. And I want to be able to empower people to say that you can make it. Mm-hmm. And not even so much that if I can make it, you can. But I need not just being able to say that, but show you how I made it. Like you, and that's why I'm so open about my journey and my transparency and being transparent through all my social media outlets, so people can see this is not a joke. This is not a game. This is not a gimmick. This is not a paycheck. This is my life. And so I, you know, I, I have young ladies who reach out to me. Almost feel like you know, <laughs> this is our time together. Sounds like a little funny. I call myself the ghetto Ayano Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've had a couple of families reach out to me. I might know one family member. And then the other family members, of course, don't know me. But they're like, oh, you know, we get the 17-year-old girl who's being very rebellious. And we don't understand the reason why. She's not talking to us. And I feel like if somebody don't intervene, that we're going to lose her either to the streets. She's going to be a teen mom. Or she's going to be dead. It's something. And so um, I have situations where families reach out to me like, hey, doc, I know you may not know me personally, but you know my friend, you know my, you know my cousin, you grew up with her, or you, you know, you, they follow you, whatever the case may be. Can you please like, schedule time? We don't know your calls. You know, I don't know what, what else, but we prayed about it, and you are the answer. And you know, going to people's homes, that's uncomfortable for me because I'm like, uh, I'm on other people's territory. I don't know anybody and I pray about it, but I've always asked God, even when I was a child and my mom would always pray about the spirit of discernment. And I didn't even understand what discernment was, but because she would pray about it, I always included in my prayer. I get it now that I ask God to continuously give me the spirit of discernment and keep me humble in the process that all calls are not good calls and all calls are not for me. But when those who do reach out to me and I pray and God send me there, I um, had a situation. I go to the young the young lady house. She had a great support system. Her mom, her stepdad, her uh, her grandparents on both sides of the family. A neighbor that I've watched her grown up for years. All her brothers and her one sister. And it was just and uh, two godparents. I said, look at the power in this room. People are taking time out on a Saturday afternoon for however long, because this is not a time frame you could put on healing. This is not a time frame you could put on people wanting to share, especially with a perfect stranger. But I began to speak life into that lady and told her about, that young lady and told her about my journey, being very transparent, reaching her where I know I could reach her. If that meant being raunchy, if that meant being a little ratchet, so she can get what I'm saying, because I'm going to meet you where you are because I've been there. When I look at you, I look at me at the age of 17 and to this day we are still connected she grad she wasn't able to graduate on um with the rest of her class she ended up graduating this past summer and now she's getting ready to go on to either south suburban college or government state university for a nursing program helping her parent her mom and stepdad understand the financial aid process and just staying and invested in this young lady let her know that she matters and that regard you know I don't care what your situation was. I don't care what happened. Yeah, you may have had a situation with a young man and it didn't go well and he put your business out there. But you got to hold yourself accountable to the process to understand that if you know this is not the way you want to feel, then make sure you don't do this again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
you know, so in situations like that, I have people inbox me, uh, read the book, and then I'm like, girl, look, turn to page 48. Let me ask you a question real quick. I'm like, let me, let me get the book real quick and turn to page 48 then. Let's <laughs> talk about it and being okay with that. I'm even having workshops where people who have read the book come together and say like, okay, so how do you feel? You know, let's talk about that. Like, how, you know, did that, was that a trigger for you? Because I talk about rape. I talk about um, mental illness. I talk about um, domestic violence. I talk about cervical cancer, um, being homeless. I, I talk about how my my current husband, which I pray to God, this is my last husband because I, I just, you know, don't have time for that. <laughs> right. Um, that's my best friend. And how when I met him, I didn't know how to wash clothes. Mm. How many women want to be okay with saying, I be, take it a step further. I didn't know how to cook. I thought I knew how to cook because, you know, I'm in a household as, as a young girl trying to cook chicken. And if my mom is working and I'm cooking and my brothers eat it, it's because I cooked it. It's not because it was great, but in my eyes, because they ate it, I thought I could cook. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I meet, I meet my husband. He kind of like just tell my whole world apart. Like, no, nah, this is not chicken. No, this is not macaroni and cheese. Um, why are you washing your towels with your whites? Because they're white towels. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> and, and me being okay and open to hearing what he had to say and learning from him. Mm-hmm. Things that even as an adult, I didn't meet him, so I was 20. I met him at 25. So I was at 25 with four children and one on the way. I don't know these basic things. And he was having sent. And oftentimes, you know, we have to get to a point where we're open to learning. I don't care what age. I don't care what experience you've had. And also being open to understanding that the message may not come from the messenger you want it to come from. Right. Right. Yeah, and there's so many rules now in today's society where women are taught that, oh, you need to have it all together before you meet them. You got to do this. You got to do that. And what you're saying is, listen, we, we're continuously evolving. Mm-hmm. with one another. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So I'm wondering about, um, you know, I spent some time working in, well, I still do in work for youth workforce development and youth development. And I worked yeah. with um, a population of girls for some time. And so I don't know the, I can't remember what it's called, but there's some legislative that passed um, that addresses the excessive amounts of in-school suspensions. Um, and and I'm, I can't remember the name of it, but there's, there's a law or something. What is it? SB1 or something? Senate Bill 100. Yes. Okay. So with that, considering the transition that, you know, schools are trying to take. How has your training, because I know you do trainings in school, you teach youth restorative justice practices. And now even when your current role, uh, and you can talk a little bit more about that, that's your primary focus. Um, and if not, please clarify, how has that, how has your work helped to transform the way schools operate as it relates to, to, to students and discipline? So Senate Bill 100 passed, September 2015 in the state of Illinois stating that in layman's terms that we have to move away from zero tolerance policy because zero tolerance is not working mm-hmm. and how we are, how are we assisting children and their families to matriculate through the educational process even if the educational process or educational journey is at the 12th grade or they decide to get the GED or and or if they decide to go to college what does that look like and so um, some of the things that I've been able to do is help change and transform culture and climate and understanding that we have to be more um, 
we can't be robotic. Mm-hmm. We have to be people. We have to show compassion. We have to hold, uh, hold people accountable to the process. We have to be empathetic. We understand, we have to take a, a step further to understand what is trauma-informed restorative justice. Mm. In terms that most of the students that we serve in, in particular communities in the Chicago and the South Suburban Cook County area and, and beyond that look similar to these communities that I speak of is that oftentimes if Johnny is in the classroom and he's asleep, that is a form of disrespect. So get the hell out of my class. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it just the way I, I see it. Um, so helping teachers and educators understand that when they're going through the process to become educators, that there's another level that they need to understand about social, emotional learning and restorative justice and how to be, how to be people, how to be people oriented and solution oriented. That when you see Johnny in a class sleep, it's not a form of disrespect. It's the reason why he's sleep. Maybe it's because he couldn't sleep last night because of the gunshots. Maybe it's because he couldn't sleep last night because he's worried and don't even know what the, the term worry or anxiety means. And being able to give context to that and giving students an opportunity to speak and have safe spaces um and reset rooms and we're not going to do in-school suspension where they just sit in the class all day with uh someone that's monitoring this in-school suspension class and they're not getting any work done and they're not knowing they're not learning soft skills or how to use their voice in an effective way they don't know what healthy debates are about they don't know how to say hello to people or someone looks at them the wrong way they ready to turn up and act a whole fool in class because there's something in their life happening outside of the four walls of education that says that this type of response is the only response. And so how do we get the buy-in of the parents? And so taking this step further, if we implement restorative justice as a way of life in, in the, the four walls of education, that's great, but it needs to be something that's taken into the home. It's something that needs to be taken into the heart. So how do we get the buy-in from the parents and the guardians, big brothers, big sisters, and community members who live in the same neighborhood as the school and understand that this needs to be a safe space, not just for the children, but for their families too so when the child leaves for the school day or when the child leaves for the weekend and then they come back on monday they still know what restorative justice is about they still understand that i i am a person and because i am a person i know there are other people and i need to learn how to respect them and this is what respect look like and it starts with saying hello or how are you or how many times do we see the teachers in the hallway hey how was your weekend how was your vacation but we don't even ask our children who's standing in front of us so how do we help them learn how to 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 gain these soft social skills Mm -hmm. so i'm asking my babies when i see them i'm asking my scholars hey how was your weekend dr jones my weekend wasn't the best but my mom made my favorite meal or i saw my granny this weekend or i got a chance to go to my daddy house or this that and the other and them being excited about sharing because someone saw them as a human being. Mm-hmm. And so being restorative is saying that we want to move away from in-school sus- suspension. We want to move away from the out-of-school suspension. We want to find other alternatives. So what we're doing now, I've developed, I've developed a 40-week academic curriculum that I'm rolling out that, that will start next week at um, uh, high school in the South Suburbs and the Dalton area and at the school that I'm at now. And I think we are on to something because it's going to be a social emotional learning class that is, I'm teaching all the teachers how to use that in that the, the time frame they have dedicated for social emotional learning. And so each week I'm rolling out a lesson plan for the next 40 weeks to help them 
um, get through that lesson, understand the different activities, the icebreakers, the check-in, the check-out, and we're doing all of this in a circle process, which is one of the uh, practices of restorative justice. And so it gives context of some of the current events that are happening. We talk about the um, Khalif Browder. We're going to watch the Khalif Browder story, mm, wow. um, which is a six-part docuseries on uh, Netflix. You've got Trayvon Martin's story that just came out within the last month or so. We're going to watch his story. Um, we're going to watch the new Jim, not the new Jim Crow, I'm sorry, um, 13th on mm. you know, all these different things because I want my babies and my scholars to understand that we had to stop telling our children we were preparing them for the real world because they're living in the real world. <laughs> and some of them are dealing with some things that we may not have ever dealt with and they have to deal, it, deal with it in a way from a mindset of a child that, haven't, that have not developed all the soft skills that they need to matriculate through this life process. And so uh, what I love about restorative justice is changing the culture and climate of every institution that's implemented not just coming in saying oh we brought in dr jones or anybody else that's considered a restorative justice practitioner to do a one or two day workshop before the school year starts, and then there's no follow-up process and there's no way of infusing and implementing and understanding if it's even working and it's not a it's not a cookie cutter approach it's not a one-size-fits-all approach each institution has to do what what best fits the needs of the children that they serve even if those are the children that you not the ideal children you want to serve but you have to learn how to meet people where they are by knowing where they are Absolutely. Now, with with your current assignment, because you, you work within a school system, if if a school or a youth organization or any type of entity would be interested in working with you, are you available to continue with some of your trainings for them? I sure am. I, I am. Okay. How how would people um and, and what what should they consider? I guess that should be a, a good question for for this. What what should leaders consider before they reach out to you? I mean, and I say this because I know working in the nonprofit industry, oftentimes people get confused about what's what, and they they don't really do their homework and stop and think about is is this the best fit? Um, I know that people. I, I I was working in a college where the instructors will call the counselor because the kid wouldn't spit out gum in the classroom. That's classroom management, sir. That is not necessarily um, a counseling issue. So <laughs> exactly. I, I say that to say, what what's some, what are the things they should consider before reaching out to you before they decide that this is what would be best fit for their 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 organization or their institution. So uh, a few things. One, if you ever need someone to come in and be the light, be an inspiration, being transparent about sharing my own personal journey, going from poverty to EDD, and what does that look like and what does that journey look like, whether it's about teen pregnancy, failed suicide attempt, mental illness, homelessness, poverty, uh, cervical cancer survivor, all these things that I, God has allowed me to overcome and, and, and to go through in order to get through, make that phone call. Hmm. Um, and it's not just for our youth, it's for anyone because everyone needs some motivation everyone needs inspiration and everyone needs someone that they can say if she can make it if god can bring her to it and through it i know i know without a doubt i can do it um that's one two as it relates to restorative justice whether it's a workshop or seminar i'm always willing to um tailor to the institution that i'm working with the organization, whether it's a school, church, nonprofit, whatever the case may be, or even law enforcement, reach out to me. I do one-day workshops, seminars. I do two-day trainings. Um, I certify. I'm able. I have trainer-to-trainer -trainer experience, so I have the opportunity to train 
those who want to be circle keepers, which is probably another conversation in terms of understanding what a circle keeper is. And it's uh, someone that facilitates a process of one of the restorative practices. Um, and three, um, restorative justice consultations. Schools are reaching out to me to do like a one-year consult, you know, consultation with them to see if what are they what are they not doing what they should do and how can they continue and implement and fuse and get the community buy-in as well as family buy-in that's another opportunity and if for any reason and it's the fourth thing if for any reason you have there's an intervention that's needed in a family um or with a friend i'm available for that as well okay okay so you are available um for the community in, in, in different capacities. Now, if someone considered those four things and they want to get a hold of you, how would they reach out to you? Um, they can reach out to me via email, which is uh, Dr. Shan Jones 2016 at gmail.com. That's D R S H A N J O N E S 2016 at gmail.com. Okay. Now, if someone wanted to purchase a book, or um, look at some of your services. Do you have a website? Are you on social? Well, I know you're on social media personally, but let's tell the people. Let's tell the people yes. to get a hold of you. <laughs> um, so you can find all my social media outlets on my website, as well as purchase any of my books or my children. I'm, my, I'm a mother of five biological children. For my daughters and published authors as well. So all of our books can be found on my website at shaniquajones.com, and that's S H A. N-I-Q-U-A-J-O-N-E-S.com. You know what? You just said something that I absolutely need to touch on before I let you go because I know you're busy, <laughs> so I want to hold you. But let's talk about passing on these skills, this talent, and building generational wealth through your children. You are absolutely right. You're, you're, you have girls who, um, they're authors, and there's one author, one illustrator. They're both. I mean, they're, they're, explain that scenario because, like you said, they are self-published authors as well. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that, how this is, we're teaching, and you're teaching your children and your family to get involved early, not late. Tell us more about that. Um, so honestly, there was an article that was posted recently about Chicago from Chicago public schools because my daughters are students in the Chicago public school system. And I, I have to say that one of the things that they mentioned was that they're following their mother's uh, lead. But in that, in all truth, my 14 year old who was eight at the time back in 2012 wrote a book for a young authors award program at her school out in the south suburbs and she won the contest and one of the things with winning the contest was that her book would be featured in the local library for that entire spring and summer with that um book what i ended up doing is reaching out to one of my good friends who's a graphic design artist a friend who's a photographer a friend who's an editor and i brought everyone together was like look i want to make this book happen for her because she talked about at the age of eight her struggles with asthma and how she had to overcome that the obstacles about not being able to participate in recess or being looked upon as like a a leper and and she does she does all this from a a eight-year-old's perspective and so we took that and turned that book for school into a her very first self-published book back in 2012. In the process my other daughter who was seven at the time drew she could draw pretty good and so everything my daughter wrote she gave the the artwork to go along with the narrative piece and so she became a self-published illustrator at the age of seven. And then from there, I wrote my book about my life, 12 Memoirs to My Younger Self, in 2016, the day after I walked across stage with my doctorate degree. 
And then in 2017, I wrote a restorative justice training manual, restorative justice and restorative practice training manual. And then my oldest daughter, Patricia, um, she wrote a book of poems because she's always been into poetry and she has a book in one in her first book and she's working on her second book of uh, poems now one of the titles of her poem is dr jones and it's, it's like uh how she feel about me and i i when i tell you it's it's simple but mind-blowing because i know she don't nobody else know me my she'll be 20 in october she knows me well mm-hmm. um and then my baby girl sanaa grace um she wrote a book about moods and attitudes and she gives like this color scheme to it. So for when she sees certain colors, this is what make this is the feeling or emotion that goes along with that based off what she's experienced in school. Even at the age of, at the time she's 10, she'll be 11, well, she's 11 now, and she'll be 12 in November. And so all four of my daughters are published authors. My son and my husband, like I'll leave the writing to the women in the family. But my <laughs> son, a shout out to him. He's a senior in high school at Southland College Prep out of Richmond Park with a 4.77 GPA on a 5.0 scale. And he's, he has a, a master plan. He wants to be a neurosurgeon and I can see it. I can see it happening. He's, he's, I mean, my kids are my everything, especially when you talk about how uh, societal stigmas and statistics show that because I was a teen mom and living in, and living in poverty and I was homeless and all these different traumatic experiences that have happened to us in our lives that they should not be where they are. Wow. Amazing. And when, you know, I love the hashtag black excellence and your family represents that to a T. Thank you so much for what you do for our community. Um, what you do for us individually, because I know for a fact that there've been plenty of times you were transparent online and I was like, Oh, this is touching me today. And so I know that I'm one of many who feel the same way. So thank you again for all that you do and the work of your daughters that could be found on your website as well. Correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. So you guys, you got to go out there and support. If you have not read this book, you need to pick up 12 today. I have my copy. I have my copy. So you you have to read you have to read this book because there are some things that she shares in here and she's and she's from Harvey World. You know, I was born in Harvey. I yes. didn't in Harvey, but I was born in Ingalls Hospital, so I feel a little something about that because that's that that was the city I was actually born in. And you know, someone representing the South Suburbs, the community of Harvey someone who has come through the journey that she's come through, you have to read this story. And, and she, she has pictures and everything to kind of, you know, bring, bring life to what she's saying. Uh, so pick it up. It's an excellent read. If you have not participated in one of her trainings, you need to. Um, she has offered several trainings that, that, that will teach you how to self-publish books, uh, not just only restorative justice. You had a meeting with, with, with moms and their daughters recently. How was that? Oh my gosh, that was mind blowing. It was, um, it was mother daughter relationship discussion and it was in a circle form and it was very powerful. It was only supposed to be from like three to 5 PM. We didn't leave to close to 7 PM. And to be honest, oftentimes it's people that I know who participate. I had a family that drove maybe four and a half hours to get to this event. Wow. That I have never met before. And she brought her oldest daughter. And I can relate because usually the oldest children go through the most with mom. You know, mm-hmm. they, see, they see everything. And we talked about everything from um, religion, spirituality, sex, mother daughter relationships as it relates to like when mom chooses to whatever spouse she chooses. It's almost like, how does that make your child? How does that make your daughter feel? Especially when there were some issues in terms of the, the, they didn't get along, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the new spouse, whatever the case may be, but it was powerful and it was uplifting and it, 
everyone left feeling empowered. People exchanged phone numbers and we were holding people accountable to the process. If you said this is what you want to do, then when what's the due date? So if you see, for any instance, you might see something like a Facebook post that says, I'll tag that person along with the date. It's me putting it out there in the world. Because I do that for myself with this weight loss journey. Like, it's hard. And so if I put it out there on Facebook, someone along the line on one of them days when I feel like, you know, I'm about to go to McDonald's because it's easy today. Like, one time, someone going to inbox me like, Doc, how's it going? Like, did you make it to the gym today? Because I made it, I thought about you when I went to Planet Fitness. I'm like, oh Lord, let me go on over to Planet Fitness then. So, what, then that's what I appreciate about the conversation we had. It's like we we set the tone for building a community that came together based off the fact that God gave me, laid it on my heart to have this discussion and brought all these women together along with their daughters to be vulnerable and see vulnerabilities and strength. And let's let's rebuild these relationships because moms are the lifeline. Oftentimes we we lose touch with reality because we lose touch with our mothers and no every and we're not saying every mother is perfect but when god has given you given you this knowledge giving you this just your mom is a tool and a resource there are things your mother are telling you and it's she's not just telling you because she wants to hurt you she's telling and even if it, it, it may hurt sometimes and it may be painful but they're the lifeline that when I'm talking to my four daughters and God bless me with four daughters, and I'm like, four, Lord, why four? <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Um, I'm able to share with them about things I've gone through. So when I wrote that book, that book wasn't just for me. It was for my children and my children's children and for the world to understand that I've been through a lot and I don't take my life for granted. And so I don't allow life to happen to me anymore. I happen to life. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. Before we go, is there anything else that you would like to say to our family out there? Any parting words? I love you. I really do. I know we don't see each other on a daily basis and we may not, may not talk often, but I see you. And I'm so glad that you are allowing God to use you in ways that you may not even understand sometimes. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate your book. And I appreciate the confessions. Because see, confessions, that's that's being transparent. And oftentimes we say the word confession, people be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, snap. It's about to go down. No, no. It's, it's a healing process. People need to learn how to heal. To self-heal, to understand, to listen, and to find their voice. And I thank you for giving people like me and others um, an outlet to share their journey. Oh, thank you, sis. And I love you too. I, you know, for the first few seconds, I didn't know who you was talking to. I'm like, she's talking to the people. I, I appreciate that. I'm um, talking to the people about you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. I'm humbled. I really appreciate that. No, I, I'm, you know, I, I just, I love having these relationships and you've definitely been one of those people who have helped to shape me. And so I, I, I throw that thank you and that love right back to you um, because you're definitely part of this journey. You know, we, we all should be here to uplift and support one another because it really does take a village. It really does. And so I know that when I, I know I can call on you for certain things, you know, and I want you to always feel the same about me. So now, and we're sharing this with our family out there because, you know, guys, there is a lot of support out here. So having said that, I want to thank you, Dr. Jones for coming on the show thank you for being so transparent as usual thank you for sharing your gifts thank you for allowing us to know how we can contact you if, if we need you so um i'm looking forward to um for everybody to hear this 
And for our family out there, don't forget to support. Don't forget to get the book 12. Don't forget to follow confessionsofamillionairequeen.com, the blog, the podcast. And if you guys have any questions or concerns, feel free to email me at laurentmeeks at gmail.com. Take care. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Follow Dr. Meeks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dr. Lauren Meeks. If you have a confession, visit confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com and share your story. Peace and love.